See, now you'll have to write all of your fellow parishioners who are not here and tell them what delightful and salacious readings <laughs> they're missing this summer. This story from the Davidic cycle is something that I think we might wonder, what is it doing in our lectionary? And what is it doing opposite this gospel? Except to say, of course, it fulfills that first verse of the psalm we read this morning, all are corrupt and commit abominable acts. Right? This is the great scandal that will hang like a shadow over David and his dynasty for the coming generations. And yet, at the same time, it is a story that we are all familiar with in our own ways and walks. We are familiar with a world that understands and trades in the language of power and the power to satisfy our own desires, even at the expense of the lives of others. It is a story that is the juxtaposition, if you will, of God's message to God's people. And in fact, one of the great riddles of the book of 2 Samuel and then moving into 1 and 2 Kings is how is God going to respond to a people and to kings who will fall very far short of the mark? How will God's promises be worked out despite the corruptions of power and the failure to remain faithful. About a week and a half ago, just ahead of Typhoon Nanka, I was on a train headed into the far western part of Japan. Western Japan has some beautiful country, mountains and Lots and lots of vistas filled with rice fields and open country, more open than, than much of the rest of the country in that sense. And I was taking the bullet train and then some local trains all the way to the western edge of Kyushu, to Nagasaki, to do something that I'd wanted to do for a very long time, and that was to visit the shrine of the martyrs of Japan. And in Nagasaki, you get to the terminal, the very end of the line, as it were, unless you want to end up in the ocean. And you get out um, into a very modern, contemporary, 21st century city. And not a stone's throw from the train station is a path that goes up the hillside. And at the top of the hillside is the shrine and the memorial for 26 men and boys who were marched about the length I took by train, took me four hours by train, who were marched on foot in the late 16th century to be crucified on that hillside by Hideyoshi, who was the regent of Japan at the time and was planting the seeds for a unified government after years and years of feudal warfare that had dominated the Japanese culture and society. Christianity had come to Japan early in the 16th century, and it enjoyed a great deal of success. Francis Xavier 
one of the founding um, members of the Jesuit order had come and brought Christianity with him and gained a real toehold with it in the western part of Japan, particularly amongst some of the feudal lords and their retainers, who we know as samurai. It was a very attractive religious tradition, and the government not only tolerated it, but rather liked Christianity because it took some of the power away from some of the Buddhist priests who were trading in power in Kyoto at the time. So it was a nice thing, and it worked well for a while. And in fact, by the end of the 16th century, there were nearly 400,000 Christians in Japan. But as the century wore on and Franciscans, ironically, arrived, there were cross-currents going on between the two religious orders and also the colonial powers behind them, namely Portugal and Spain. And as their interests grew and the Dutch got involved and started shipping arms into Japan, and then some of the daimyo, the local warlords, began to adopt Christianity, and their samurai began to stand in arms over and against other groups, it became clear to the Japanese government that Christianity was a package deal as it came from Europe. And it came with a lot of things with which the Japanese government was already familiar, and that was trading in power and arms and interested in intrigue and perhaps ultimately colonial ambitions from the other side of the world. So by the 1590s, Hideyoshi had risen to become regent of Japan and he was trying to unify the country and he recognized that Christianity represented, at least in the way it was being presented, some kind of threat and so he released the first edict prohibiting Christianity across Japan. Some of the warlords, in fact, willingly gave up their lands and their legacy so that they might remain faithful. Some of them are regarded as saints in the Roman Catholic Church today. And then there were these 26 who ranged from age 12 all the way up to age 70. And in late winter 1597, Hideyoshi ordered them rounded up in Kyoto and marched across western Japan to bear witness to his edict against Christianity. And he literally had them crucified in a public display on this hillside in Nagasaki. How did they understand their place in history? is something we might want to ask ourselves. We only have stories to go on, except that we know on their march all the way to Nagasaki, they chanted the Te Deum, one of the great prayers of the Christian church, and remained faithful to the end. And in fact, the legend is that one of the youngest among them, when he was asked to renounce Christianity right before he was crucified, responded, where is my cross? Where is my cross? The witness of the gospel and God's promise over and against the powers and the power that the world trades in is an old story. And yet it is a story that we barely have a handle on even today. We know that the trappings of power are still with us 
they are very evident in our culture, in our political discourse. They are, yes, evident in the church as well, and we all get tangled in them oftentimes more than we would care to admit. But we are like the disciples in today's Gospel reading, who, as Jesus discloses this new understanding of power, this this way that God invites us into, like the disciples, we are bewildered, puzzled, because it is not in the language and in the currency that we understand. It is not in the language and currency of power that the world understands. Following the crucifixion of those 26 martyrs in Nagasaki, Hideyoshi started to look like a nice guy. The Tokugawa shogunate, which followed him, cracked down on Christianity even harder, and thousands were martyred in the following decades, until by the middle of the 17th century, Christianity was all but extinct in Japan. And the borders were closed to missionaries and would remain so until the 19th century. When the missionaries returned, they were shocked, surprised even, to discover Christians in Japan who had been practicing their faith underground for ten generations. They would meet in very small groups, study scripture, and baptize without, interestingly enough, benefit of clergy, without any connection with Christianity in the outside world. Their legacy as one of faithful witness, even where all power was gone from their perspective. And yet somehow the gospel survived. The message of God to God's people and the message and hope that God intends for the world remained intact. That is the story I want to leave you with today, that witness to that. John is telling us over and over again in today's Gospel that the witness of the Gospel will continue, even when the disciples, like us, don't get it. Even when we're bewildered because the Gospel does not use the language and the currency of the age. And yet, People will be gathered and fed. They will be nurtured. And yet Jesus will perform miracles among us if we will only but have eyes to see. And yet the work will continue even when we think it is all done and extinguished. Hideyoshi dies, the Tokugawa shogunate came to pass and passed into history, and yet the faithful remain. That is a story of hope, just as it will be a story for hope for the ancient Israelites, and even David himself when he comes to his senses, which he will in pretty short order, and it will not be a pleasant experience, I assure you. 
you will recognize that God will remain faithful, even when we have not been. That is good news, gospel for all of us who can sometimes barely see beyond our own noses, all of us who know the language and power of the world, but who yet remain barely acquainted with the language and the currency of the gospel. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.